Hi, and welcome to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. In this podcast, I give you ideas, insights, information, and inspiration to help you achieve your potential in business and in life. So let's get stuck into this week's show. Hello, everyone. It's Dave Drimmy here from the Wealthy Wednesday podcast. And today I'm really excited because we've got an amazing lady joined us all the way from Oxford in England, and she's a fab, fab person. Tara, are you there? Tara O'Brien. Hi. Hi, Dave. How are you? Oh, outstanding. Thank you very much. Yes. I am so delighted to welcome you onto the show um, because you have got such a wealth of experience in the recruiting field, and you, from our conversation, you get the pathway of recruiting talent, really, really great people. So I'm I'm really excited to um, have this conversation and 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 uh, share your insights with our with the folks that are listening to this. Yeah, absolutely, love to. Well, fab. So we have been talking about people first culture and building culture in organisation, and we've really been talking about creating fertile ground so that we can plant seeds, um, so that we can really bring people into organisations and they can grow within the organisation to fulfil their potential, which helps the organisation fulfil the potential of the organisation as well. So with your wealth of experience, before we dive into that, could you just possibly just share with us your kind of journey to where you are now and what you're doing in your current role uh, or various roles? Mm, sure. Yeah, no problem at all. So um, so my, my background is actually almost entirely in the recruitment industry. Um, uh, when I was 21, which is a very long time ago now, uh, I started working in recruitment agency and I uh, continued to work in recruitment agency until about three and a half years ago. Um, and my last role was in a healthcare medical life science sales marketing and comms recruitment business so we specialized in those areas and uh my i was there for eight years and my last role was actually managing director there i left agency because i wanted to try something different i wanted to go in-house uh, into an organization so there's a big difference between agency recruitment and in-house recruitment agency tends to be much more sales focused and about you know, effectively making money from those placements and in-house then is very much more HR focused. So there's, there's a, there are similarities, but they're, they're quite different. And so I went to work for the NHS again, because I'd been in medical, you know, for almost eight years prior to that and healthcare, um, the NHS felt really aligned and I wanted to do something different. Um, and so I joined, uh, one of the very large Oxford trusts and, um, uh, yeah, uh, and I'm currently head of resourcing for um, Oxford Health. Um, and alongside that, I also consult with uh, with organisations, uh, which tend to be more the small to medium organisations on their recruitment strategy. Um, and that is, you know, going in and looking at what they're doing at the moment and how they do it and, uh, you know, making recommendations. What I tend to find is that a lot of organisations are being very reactive in their recruitment and I teach them how to be more proactive. Wow. So what, what I'm... Hearing is that you're clearly involved with a government body, but you still are aligned to the commercial companies that are out there in the marketplace. Yeah. Why that's interesting to me is my my wife's actually a pediatric consultant, so she's been 24 years in the role. Um, in fact, we're 25 years married next month. How cool is that? Okay. So, um, but um, basically. I understand it can be a bit of a kind of slow process for recruitment in in terms of NHS, mm. whereas in, in uh, the normal day-to-day cut and thrust of commercial business life, it's very much a faster process. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, most of the time. So in some of the bigger organizations, it can be quite slow as well, but they do tend to have a lot more flexibility to move it faster. Part of the reason it's so slow in, you know, we'll say the NHS, for example, is because of the employment check side of things. So, you know, the, the employment checks are quite detailed. Uh, you know, there's quite a lot, you know, for, for an NHS trust, you have to do DBS checks and things like that for, for a lot of the, the people that you recruit. And those things take time. So the slowness is often more to do with the employment checks, the pre-employment checks, rather than the recruitment process itself. Um, however, there's absolutely things that those bigger organisations, including you know NHS trusts, can do to speed up the process. And uh, I guess that's what I've 
I feel I've brought to the NHS is I've brought in uh, looking at how we can streamline and how we can use tools and, and uh, you know, use technology to help us speed up the process and just make us a bit more effective and, and a bit more efficient. So on that basis, because I'm just personally interested, mm. um, if there were two or three, if you like, tools or processes that could speed up yeah. the process with the, within uh, the NHS, what what, what would you actually use? Uh, so one of my one of the things I talk about all the time is using a CRM. Um, so so an, what we call an ATS system is an applicant tracking system. Now most organisations of a reasonable size will have an ATS, um, but ATS systems don't traditionally have a CRM built into them. So you almost and have just, to have that. Just for clarity, just in case someone's yeah. missing out on this, yeah. a CRM is management system, which is something that would be used in any organization that, uh, well, not any organization, but an organization to manage their sales process or their marketing process or their customer management process it's typically used for. But it can also then be used on the recruitment side of things uh, to build relationships and build a pipeline of future talent that are then there and nurtured and engaged with the organization to reach out to when you need to hire rather than reactively putting an ad on Indeed or whatever job board you choose to use and hoping the right candidate happens to come to you. So we have an ATS um, system, but it doesn't, it only does part of what I consider to be the recruitment job. Uh, and then the CRM is probably the most important piece of tech that you were tr- I'm trying to encourage people to embrace at the moment. So this is fascinating, actually, because many of the businesses I work with, they um, tend to spend a long time in bringing in new fee-paying work, as in new clients, mm. but they're very reactive to bringing in new team members, maybe to replace somebody who's left. So what you're sharing with me is that we should actually be focused on building a pool of our ideal employees just as... So we've, we've got a similar process to bringing in fee-paying work, but we're actually looking to the future to bringing in potential employees and upgrading uh, yeah. upgrading employee standards, et cetera. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, that in a small organisation, it can be harder to do that. But, you know, I think any organisation that recruits on a regular basis should absolutely be talent planning. And, uh, you know, and I guess that goes alongside things like, you know, understanding the desires and the aspirations of your current team and looking at, you know their succession plan and understanding where they want to go and the other you know the the you know even the leadership in the organization what is the succession plan you know, is it uh, you know does the leader want to retire at some point does the leader want to leave the business you know what's the, what's the plan coming behind that and then tailor your talent plan to whatever that uh, that long term plan is and and start to build and build relationships with people and it's it's very similar to a customer relationship pathway in that you know you can build relationships with potential candidates who fit what i call your ideal candidate profile your icp but you don't have to you know you don't have to have a vacancy for them right now you can get to you can get to know them you can draw them into the organization and let them understand what you're all about and you know what the vision is and what the purpose of the business is and all of that stuff without having a vacancy and then when you have a vacancy you can reach out straight away to those people and say you, you know you're already we you already know us you already like us and you already trust us in a, as an organization come and work for us here's our current vacancy and so many organizations well, it's 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 almost more common that companies don't do that. Uh, you know, they tend to just get onto that rat race of reactively finding people when when somebody leaves an organisation. I'm loving this, by the way. This is absolutely brilliant, and um, thank you very much for sharing. Because what I'd like to ask now is, how would you? I've got my own thoughts about how to do this. Mm. But how would you build that? platform because if you think about in in business we've got you know when we sell anything if somebody wants to buy a tesla if they want to buy an iphone if they want to whatever they want to buy we all go through three stages we go through awareness consideration and decision stage so aware that we have a requirement for something we then go out and consider something and we'll investigate and then decision is based about okay price etc so Mm. what would be the first steps to a company or organization 
um, building a platform to attract their ideal clients, would you say? Mm. Yeah, and, and recruit, the recruitment or the candidate journey, as we call it, tends to go through, you know, go through exactly the same cycle as that. But we tend to call mm-hmm. it, um, you know, awareness, consideration and application are the, are the first three stages in the candidate journey. And it's a, it's a difficult question to give a definite answer to because it really depends on the organization and, you know, whether they're an organization that's known in you know, the area that they're based in or, you know, or if they have a brand name that people are aware of. But ultimately, it's about, uh, you know, building that that employee brand, that brand that, you know, people talk about when they're down the pub and say, oh, I work for this company. They're, you know, they're a great organization to work for. You know, this is what happens. I, I don't know, I get to work from home three days a week or I get to go early on Friday afternoons or whatever it is that they're that they're talking about. And bearing in mind that, most people don't leave an organization for financial reasons. Um, obviously, some do. And, you know, and of course, at the moment, you know, there's a little bit more of that because of the, you know, the financial uh, current situation where it's it's difficult for people to, to um, uh, you know, cost of living is going up. Uh, but generally speaking, people leave for uh, man- because of their manager or because of the organization. Um, and it's usually linked in with fairness somewhere along the line. They rarely leave just because of money. So if you've got somebody talking about an organization, the organization they work for being, um, I don't know, really inclusive, really caring, really wanting to look after their employees and nurture them, they're going to tell other people that. And that's how you start to spread your brand message. Um, there's other ways you can spread your brand message. Uh, so, you know, tools like LinkedIn, if you're if you're recruiting for people in the professional sector, LinkedIn tends to be a great tool, getting people to follow your social media pages, uh, LinkedIn, obviously, but you know, the Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever the platforms are on that you're on at the moment, but also then putting out content that's going to be relevant to them. So it's uh, where companies go wrong with these t- type of pages is they start to put out information about why they're brilliant. Nobody cares about that. You've got to focus on what's in it for the candidates. So you've got to put yourself in the candidate's shoes and think, you know, what's in it for me from the candidate's perspective. So, you know, saying, oh, you know, we're an organization, we've got offices in blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. What they care about is how you're going to make them feel and how what you're going to do to, you know, make them feel like they're the right employee for your organization. And so that content that you need to put out to really uh, build that brand needs to be all about what you're going to give to the candidate, not not who you are. Love it. I think that goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's about creating that fertile soil, isn't it? Yeah, In which absolutely. you can plant the right seeds. I'm reminded of a story. So back in um, August 2008, financial crash, I joined a uh, construction company, actually a fit-out company. We're doing about $6 million a year. And over the next uh, five years, out of recession, helped them grow to $15 million a year, which is brilliant. But they had a, a manufactured joinery workshop, which I absolutely loved. And some of the pieces that were built in there were amazing. But I spoke to one of the apprentices in there one day. So work work in the workshop finished at three o'clock on a Friday. Mm. But on the Friday morning, I just was um, having a walk around looking at some of the pieces um, that were going out to clients. I was speaking to uh, an apprentice, a young guy, um, literally 18 years old. And he, was, he had his uh, camera out. He was taking photos of this beautiful piece of work i said oh what are you doing he went oh i'm just taking photos to take down the pub so i can uh, i can yeah. show my mates yeah because he was proud was like, well, uh, he, yeah he was proud but the whole culture of the workshop was proud because it was driven by a director that made everyone feel inclusive yeah. Yeah. and proud to be there and of the work they're doing yeah. um so that very much ties in with with what you're saying but I've got another story as well. So I've got a, another client and it's um, a 10 million a year company. And I've just shared with him, he's working all the hours right now. And I explained to him the difference between a visionary and an integrator just literally over the last few days. And he's a visionary, but he's trying to do the role of an integrator. So you mentioned earlier on about finding the right people and a right fit how important is it not just to have the culture, but to make sure you've got the right people in the right seats? Mm, really important. And um, and I talk, you know, we we talk a lot about inclusivity and equality these days in, in the hiring space, I guess. Um, and for me, I tend to talk about culture ad rather than culture fit. So, you know, it, and that's, a, that's about bringing in people that add 
to your culture and make it even better um, through their background or their history or whatever it may be, rather than fitting in as a clone, you know, because uh, nobody wants to be surrounded by a bunch of clones anyway. You want, you know, uh, the best environments are the ones where you meet people that you, you know, you perhaps wouldn't have met in in other ways because they're not the people in your social group and things like that. Um, so, and I think I think that culture ad is is really critical. You know, particularly when you're adding background and knowledge and experience and ideas and creativity and all those things that a new person can bring. But if you don't get that right, on the flip side it's, you know, it, it's, it's just so bad for a business. It's, it's really, really bad for a business. I remember doing uh, a, a, a training program that I did a number of years back now. It was a, a leadership type program um, in the recruitment industry. And the person who led it, it always sticks in my mind. She always said, hire slow and fire fast. Um, and I don't think she meant it from the perspective she didn't well, in fact, I know she didn't, she didn't mean it from the perspective of just get rid of people without giving them a go. That's not what she meant. What she meant is give them a go and put the right things in place to give them an opportunity to make it work. But if it's not going down the right, right path, that it's so damaging to your business that you've just got to make that tough decision and let that person go. And then on the flip side, hiring slow is really important because, you know, rushing into hiring someone just because you're desperate, which is often what people do because they've got a gap. You know, they often go, I have one interview. Oh, I really like that person. Maybe don't evaluate them really carefully. And then they they go ahead and make a decision because they like them and they think they fit in. And, you know, they can see them have themselves having a drink with them. And, um, and you know, it turns out that that person's not the right person for the business. And, uh, you know, so hiring slow and doing it really methodically and carefully. And I don't mean taking weeks to do it. You can hire slow in, you know, in a short period of time, if that makes sense. But you go through a competent, a, a useful and practical process. Um, but then, you know, putting the right onboarding on, in place to give the person the best possible opportunity to be successful. I mean, again, one of the things I see companies, especially smaller companies do, is they, you know, they get the person on board uh, and they don't give them a proper onboarding process. And so, you know, they're almost setting themselves up to fail. And then a few months time, they'll, they'll come back and say, well, I don't understand why that person didn't work out. But, you know, you get a bit deeper and you find out that there was, you know, they literally put them in and gave them a desk and a laptop and left them to it. So you're setting that person up to, up to fail. So, so I think if you've done those things and you worked with the individual and it's just not the right fit for the organization, i.e. they're not capable of, of delivering on that job, bearing in mind that that's stressful for them as it is for the employer, you know, sometimes the employer is the one who has to make that tough decision and, 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 you know, and don't waste time on that decision. You know, I, I know myself, my, somebody I worked with previously was quite a nice person, let's say, and, you know, he had people in the business for a number of years who were not delivering, you know, and it was just as stressful for them as it was for him, just because he didn't want to be the one to make that decision. And, you know, there was a point that with one of those people that I just took it out of his hands and made the decision for him because it was getting nobody anywhere. So sometimes you've just got to, you've just got to do that. Not sure if that answered your question though. <laughs> well, well, got on Oh, it's really, really valuable, actually, because I think there's so many companies, um, there's a difference between a strategic plan and a business plan. And a strategic plan is obviously an internal plan, a business plan is an external plan for investors, etc. The strategic plan, when you actually look at it carefully, is about, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats and trends, your core values, the why you're in business, etc., before you even go into building the numbers. And Sitting with a client recently, we were talking about exactly that. We were going through a whole one-day strategic plan. We only got to the SWOT, the trends, the core values and the why, and, and the business owner just got, he went, wow, this is just like, wow. How, you know? So he, he got to understand that when you know your why, you can attract people who buy into that mission, yeah. if you like. And this was in the cutthroat construction sector. Okay, So he, he just got it, which was so cool. So core values, I think, are really, really important. Um, mm. yeah. And why, why I'm raising that, Tara, is simply because my, my own personal view is that we should hire on core values. We should discover whether the core values are aligned between the people coming to us and, the peop- and, and our own core values as a company. But I could be way off the mark there. It's just my own personal viewpoint. And then we can put them through a process. What, what's your thoughts on that? And what would be a process you might 
if you like, an ABC process to bring in the right talent based on your experience? Mm, I, I agree with values. I think values, um, I think purpose, you know, i.e. your why, um, is really important to attract people and to then engage them and keep them long term because people want a purpose. You know, it's like that 18 year old you were talking about. He, you know, he went to talk to his friends about what his purpose was and how proud he was of the fact that they delivered on their purpose. And that's amazing. You know, if you can if you can foster that in an organization, you're you're definitely on the right track. Um, and I, I think absolutely values are the most important thing. And, and again, I talk about uh, alongside culture ad, value ad, uh, sorry, values ad. So you're, you know, so not only are they meet, do they share values of the organization, um, but they can even, you know, they can even bring more to that. So they can even bring, you know, other oh. values that are useful to the organization. Um, so I tend to folk, I tend to think I'm a fan of competency-based and behavioral-based interview techniques. Um, there are other methods, but but I'm I'm a fan of those, and I think there should always be some of those interview type questions in any interview. And but you can do that based on values. So you know, um, so a competency, sorry, a, um, a values-based interview might be something like, uh, you know, give us an example of a time where you've. I don't know, supported a colleague, whatever it may be that, that uh, the question that aligns to the value that you're trying to measure. And I think those are really a, a good way of, of understanding. And, um, you know, if you get somebody into a conversation about you know, asking questions about values and do it in a behavioral based interview type way, you tend to find out whether they do share those values or whether, you know, whether they're not aligned. And I think, I think values alignment is probably the the baseline. And then, like you say, you go through more of the skills and the competencies, et cetera, if they meet the value requirements. Um, because there's just no point bringing somebody into an organization who doesn't share the values. It just it just won't work long term. It, you know, it's going to be a short term fix. I am so pleased that you're sharing this with us here today, because I firmly believe that if we if we want to build a long term business and particularly if we want to scale it and sell it, mm-hmm. At some yeah. point in the future, which I believe everybody should focus on, um, one of the great questions I ask is, what's your exit plan when I meet a potential new client? And they kind of look at me like a rabbit in the lights and just go, what do you mean? But um, when you've got a really great culture fit, it means that it can also help a business owner to stand back from the day-to-day running of a business because you've got people that you can trust mm. and then the business owner can focus on like up periscope and get the strategy going where are we going where are we where are we heading would you agree with that 100 percent. i think um you know and i think for for any for any owner or any founder to 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 actually grow the business they've you know they've got to bring people in that they can trust and they know are aligned uh, to their values but I, I guess the other thing I always think as well is that it's not you know, so the owner tends to be the one who in a smaller company the owner or the founder tends to be the one who who starts off the values but then you know you want people to come into the organization with new, with their values and that's when the values ad comes in and so it becomes where it's not just about the owner being the one to drive the values but it's the organization drives the values. And that's at the point where the, the founder can start to think about you know, their exit plan because actually the business runs perfectly well without them. Yes, they may have led from the front with values and they may have set the foundation, but but everybody everybody lives by those values. So actually if they're not driving them, then it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. And that's you know, that's when you start to look at a an effective exit strategy. This is fascinating. I was I was just chatting to a business owner last week that do roughly 20 million a year. And it was a fascinating conversation on so many levels. Um, but one thing that was very relevant to our, our chat today was he drove the business seven days a week, 18 hours a day, boom, 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 you know, a typical entrepreneur. And then the people that uh, were with him at the time, same core values, a level down, core values started slipping, mm-hmm. another level still further. And he's going, I, I generally... I'm lost as to what to do now because they don't share our core values. So with that in mind and that particular case, how so how, how would you go into an organization like that? How would you uh, perhaps work with a, uh, an owner like that and help them to build, you know, uh, a talent pool that can improve that, mm. uh, that situation? Yeah. Well, I, I suppose the, the first thing is to, you know, do that, 
almost values elicitation exercise of really understanding what the values of the organization actually are. Um, because again, you know, when you get to that size, it's not still about, it's not entirely about the values of the, the owner. It's about the, the values that you want the business to have and the, the, you know, the, the values that you want everybody to, and they're usually fairly aligned. They're usually fairly similar, but they might not be exactly the same. There may be some other values that the owner shares but aren't his his or her driving value so you need to bring that in so you i guess it's just understanding from those top layers what are the values that you want the organization to embrace and then you know depending on what they are well i guess it depends on on um how far off the organization the rest of the organization is in terms of meeting the values but i do think values need to come from top down you know they need uh, they need to be the the founders and the leaders need to be clear on what they are they need to uh really embrace those they need to live and breathe those and then they need to educate uh you know the 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 other people the other parts of the organization as to what the driving force is and why and why it's important and i guess you you know what you'll probably find is that people who don't embrace that or who don't enjoy that will leave the organization or it may be that um you know, it may be that they're just not working in the right in the right way. Um, so there may be some difficult conversations because you know any kind of change process that you do is always difficult. It's always painful, and you know you'll get some people who'll come along for the ride, and and other people who will say this isn't for me, and and that's fine. You know, I think also the the leaders need to be okay with the fact that some of those people might not want to stay, and they might not want to embrace those new values. And then it's about having talent plan for, you know, if they don't come along with us, what are we going to do? What gaps are we going to have in the organization? And, and what are we doing to build a workforce plan to, to fill those gaps with people with the right values and the right, uh, the right culture fit in the future? Interesting. And the analogy has come to my mind now. It's a bit like a maybe a Premier League football team, one of your Manchester cities or Liverpool or whatever, Manchester United. Oh, gosh, I'm getting into political nature here. But um, basically, they are looking for goals. Yeah. They're looking to score goals. And every year there's new talent. There's talent scouts. They're bringing in the right people. They need a winger or I, I don't follow football that much. But they're always bringing in new talent to fit in the right spot. They're always recruiting. So it, I, th I think, as you go, going back to what you were saying earlier on, for a, for an organisation to grow, we've got to continually be building that pool of expertise that we can reach out to, you know, um, a pool for maybe finance people or salespeople or ops people or whatever it might be, and just having that pool all the time. So is that a good analogy or a bad analogy? I think that's a great analogy. Actually, I hadn't thought of that one myself because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, football uh, teams have people out there looking for talent all the time, whether they need it or not, because they're constantly on the on the lookout for, you know, somebody who's going to come in and, and fill the gap that they potentially have. And, you know, um, I, I think one of the most important things with that, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of data, which sounds really boring, but it's so important. Uh, and one of the things I tend to look at, and I did this in agency with my, you know, my clients is we'd look at their turnover, their staff turnover rates. Uh, so for example, if it was their sales team. So uh, as I said, I mentioned before, I worked in, in sales and marketing and communications recruitment. So we'd work with our clients to understand their sales team and how often those people turned over. And so that meant that as an organization, as an agency, we could, you know, be ready to recruit the right people for their business when a vacancy came up. So for example, if they had a team of 20 and they typically turned over five of those every year, we'd make sure we were building a pipeline as an agency to be able to fill those sales gaps for them. So that when they came to us, you know, they didn't, they didn't, it didn't take the months to recruit. We, we'd be able to, to do that really quickly. Obviously, you know, as an agency, that's what you're there for. And if you can't deliver on that, you're not going to make any money. But actually, organizations can do the same thing them, themselves. They just, they just don't always think to plan ahead of where their gaps are likely to be. That is very, very valuable. So that's, again, it's, it's just about planning ahead. And particularly if you're going to be scaling, mm. you need to yeah. know where you, you need to know the revenue and then 
you need to know that you know the 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 sales per employee so you can actually scale up to be able to do yeah, that yeah absolutely and if you're scaling you know you should if you're scaling you should have a you should have as part of your strategy a picture of the key roles in the organization and what they're going to look like and the skills that those people are going to need so you know if anything that makes it easy to to tell and plan and to to work out your to develop a workforce plan because you have your strategy to get there you know what are those people going to look like and and you know and then you know the next part is then where are we going to find them and and let's start to build relationships with those people for the future i love this because the, again another story sorry i'll give lots of stories here but another client basically said oh there's nobody out there and woe is me and doom and we can't get anybody and I'm, all right okay let's make a list of your competitors and we just wrote down a dozen so do you know any uh, do you know any contracts managers are in there oh i know about half a dozen you know da, 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 da. are there any good ones oh yeah three of them those three are fantastic okay do you think they've got um a loyal force that that would work with them if they came over and joined you and he just looked at me and went oh right i said well maybe do you think we should be thinking six months out and start building a relationship so what you've said so far is exactly what, what we've been doing in the background with clients and i absolutely love what you're sharing it's just brilliant it also leads me into another thought here because hiring the wrong person hiring the wrong person so when we're going through core values and we're figuring out the right people to go into the right place you know are they an introvert are they an extrovert are they are they, just, are they just interested in themselves just in sales or commissions or are they are they there to grow culture or whatever yeah what is the cost of a mishire mm. i've got a couple of figures in my mind and um but what is the cost so say for example um, we were hiring someone on 50 grand and they get it wrong by the time the onboarding's been going on and there's been input from MD or various people. What, what would be the cost of a, a wrong hire? Yeah, so there's loads of figures out there. If you if you research this, there's loads of figures out there. Um, and generally, I don't really agree that they cover all the all the issues with the, with a wrong hire. So usually... I think if you look at CIPD, which is the Chartered Institute of Personnel um, Development, which is generally where HR people are, uh, they do education and things like that, and and that they're um, they're the, like the governing, not governing body, but um, uh, the professional body, and uh, so they will usually say, I think it's the cost of the salary of that person for uh, for for a month, and the replacement. Uh, the cost of agency to replace agency or the cost of hiring whatever that is that might be an advert and and there's a couple of other things they factor in I can't remember exactly what what the they talk about however for me I think you need to think about the cost of the salary of the person from the period of time that they have disengaged from the organization so someone doesn't just leave decide one day I'm going to leave they'll have disengaged for a period of time before that. And so you might not be losing entirely all of their salary, all of the value of their salary, but you may be losing a quarter of the value of their salary because they're doing less or performing less or whatever it may be. You've then got the cost of hiring and the cost of hiring is not just the cost of going to an agency or the cost of an advert. It's the cost of the hiring manager to sit and look at CVs. It's the cost of whoever writes the advert. It's the cost of um, the, if you've got an interview panel, it's the cost of the interview panel's time to sit and go through, I don't know, four or five interviews. If you've got three people on an interview panel and they're interviewing uh, five people, you know that that's a lot of hours that you that you've got to factor in. You've got to factor in the onboarding time. Nobody walks into an organisation and performs from day one. You know you're looking at realistically three to six months before they're at full capacity, depending on the job. So it's again, it's difficult to give exacts without knowing the role because if it's a, a relatively straightforward job they may be performing up to you know capacity uh, or their, their full level within a month but if it's a very difficult role or it's technical or there's a lot of uh, systems are learning it could be six months um, it could even be a year depending on the on the role itself so you've got that period of time where again they're not performing to full capacity so you know if they're only working to two thirds of their ability, then you're losing a third of their salary effect effectively in underperformance whilst they get up to speed. Um, and then you've got the knock-on costs, which people often forget about of morale within the organization, because if colleagues feel like there's a gap and they're having to pick up their workload, you could lose people 
as a knock-on effect as a result of that, or if morale is low and people aren't then performing to their full potential because they feel like they're having to do too much work and so you know they're not doing as much, that then often comes across to customers um, and there can be a knock-on effect to the customer relationship. You might fit the customer relationship might not, you know, the customer might feel that they you know, that their person that they looked after them has left the business, they might go with them, they could go to another organization because they don't feel they have a relationship anymore. Um, you know, particularly when you're talking about salespeople or customer service or account management type people. Um, and also, you know, just in general, if the customers, if there's a, an issue of morale and an issue of gaps in the organization, and so the organization is not delivering at their normal level, Customers, you know, they might not be upset about that person going, but they might go to a competitor just because they don't feel they're getting the level of service they had before. So, you know, easily that 50 grand person could be 100K, if if not more. You know, you'll hear estimates out there that the the cost of hiring overall, you know, somewhere between 50 and 150K, depending on the organization and the person and what they do. That's- Thank you for such a detailed explanation, and it's incredibly valuable because when we don't consider the uh, periphery of the customer experience, if customers are getting left down and they go elsewhere, uh, or the staff are unhappy, or the simple fact that maybe the the, the, the C-suite are getting involved in the hiring process, so suddenly three times a salary to, I'd heard as much as 10x of a salary in some circumstances, so that that 50K could become 500, somewhere between yeah. 150 yeah. and 500 grand of a of a cost directly to the company, to the bottom line, in effect. Yeah. If you lose, um, you know, big contracts or big customers as a result of it, it could be, it could be huge. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. So flip it the other way. And based on what you've been sharing with us, if you've got this fertile soil and you can grow and retain staff, then suddenly... You've got people that are staying for the long term. Clayton, I guess, last week, he worked in a call center, right? And notorious for people leaving within a year. But through the work he did, um, through one of his mentors who who was brought in, he's got staff that are staying, you know, one guy's still there after 15 years. Oh, so wow. that's in a toxic environment. Phenomenal. So let's look at creating an, a, a really powerful environment. So I'm a client, okay, hypothetically of yours. So you would come in and we'd look at the, the probably the existing culture, the core values, the job descriptions, all that kind of stuff. If you were to take me through, we've, you've looked at the culture and you've got, okay, this is brilliant. You've looked at the core values, got I really like that. Where would we go from there with regard to job descriptions all the way through to onboarding? What, what would mm. be the kind of so they, I mean, the early steps are once you've done those things is to really then uh, be clear on your messages that you want to put out. So, and that's both internally and externally. So uh, having that clear employer brand and employee brand messages that are true, that you that you live and breathe, because there's no point saying, you know, this is who we are as an employer and putting those messages out if it's not true, uh, because it's, you know, that, that psychological contract will be broken almost immediately. And um, so it's really, really important to live and breathe those things. You see so many organizations who who decide on their values or, or their mission or their purpose or whatever it is. And they, you know, put it up on the wall and make it all pretty. Um, and then they don't actually live by them. So it's, you know, just becomes a completely pointless exercise. So I, so I think once that's done, it's, uh, you know, being clear on what your messages are, being clear on what, you know, why somebody would come to the organization, what, what, what is it about the organization that's going to be good for them? And then crafting your job descriptions around that. It's, uh, it's one of my biggest um, irritations when I see uh, the way adverts are, are written. Um, I find I tend to not be able to read generic job adverts because I just get annoyed, <laughs> uh, you know, the amounts that are out there. And, you know, one of my biggest tips for writing adverts is a lot of organizations will start off talking about uh, the company and, you know, we're this and we're that and, you know, we're all these things and, you know, how brilliant are we come and work for us? Nobody cares. Candidates don't care about that. You've got to start your advert with what's in it for them. So it's, you know, it's a bit like we talked about earlier. You've got to put yourself into the candidate's shoes and think, right, um, you know, what is my candidate? And, and sorry, taking a step back from that, you've got to build an ideal candidate profile for each of the key staff groups that you've got. So, you know, for us, if it's a nurse, for example, that's a staff group, we would identify what uh, an ideal 
nurse looks like to the organization and that's it's very very similar to building an ideal client profile but you're just focusing on the candidate you know what kind of background would they come from what's going to be important to them what what drives them what motivates them it's it's understanding those uh, you know those things that are beneath the surface you know it's not the stuff you see on a cv once you've done that you can then take your 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 business information and put the two together and say well this is who we are and this is what that person wants right how are we going to get the message out in our adverts that attracts and and you know this person looks at and goes oh my god they're talking to me and if somebody reads an ad a job ad they need to be reading it and thinking this job description was written for me you know every now and then you'll you'll read a job ad and you'll go oh my god that's 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 my job that that was literally written for me that's a good quality job ad. And that's what you're trying to get to. So, you know, so many companies need to get out of, you know, their own way almost and stop thinking about what's so important, what's important to them and think, right, well, I, it doesn't matter what's important to me, what's important to my ideal candidate. And your ideal candidate is going to be someone that has those values because they wouldn't be an ideal candidate if they didn't have your values. So if you build that ideal candidate profile first in each of your staff groups, you literally have a, a framework then to, to write things like adverts and put the right messages out to the world. So it's about getting that messaging out, but you then need your employees out there, you know, saying, backing it up and saying it's true. Because if somebody, you know, if somebody bumps into somebody again, you know, in a coffee shop and they say, oh, I know you work for X company and I saw their advertising for this and the job sounds great, I'm really interested what you can't then have is the person, the employee going, oh yeah, but it's, it's none of it's true. It's awful. You know, I'm having, I mean, it's a terrible environment. I hate working for them because you've got a massive disconnect between the two. So it's the, everything, everything feeds in, you know, to together to that employer, what we call employer brands, but the employer brand is not just about logos and words and visions and missions. It's got to be, it's got to be breathing. It's got to be so real that people, you know, you ask an employee, what they think of the organization and they say those words and that takes a bit of time to to get to and you know as i said earlier it comes from the top down and it's got to it comes from education and people feeling like that it's you know it is the fact and it's the true version of the company authenticity mm, yeah absolutely authenticity. it's got to be real yeah i'm chuckling to myself here because um well a good friend of mine was uh, ran a successful architectural um practice and left that practice after several decades to go and work client side because um, she saw an advert for, as she said to be, her ideal job, client side. And she didn't have the responsibility of feeding the staff and all the rest of it. She literally goes in, does her job, loves it, still overproduces, but goes home at night and no stress. Yeah. And um, But it was that hook in the advert yeah she went that's me yeah powerful very powerful the only way you can do that is to have a clear profile that you're trying to target in the first place because if you don't your ad just your ad just is too generic and it's not speaking to anyone absolutely i moved back to the scottish borders after you know almost 50 years away and but i learned to fish with my granddad on the river tweed and um so I was a, a wee boy, like six years old, seven years old. I remember going and fishing in, and going, oh, and, and what have you. And they were fishing for trout. I wasn't particularly good at it, but the, one of the first casts, I kind of went, whoosh, boom. And suddenly the rod disappeared out of my hand. I'd actually caught a cow, and it disappeared <laughs> going in the other direction. So despite the best intentions of fishing in a river to try and catch beautiful trout, I caught a cow. So sometimes we can catch the wrong beast, shall we say. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but again, if we, we wouldn't go fishing for carp or cod in a trout river. Mm. So we need to put yeah. together the correct ad to call out for the right people with the right values. Is this you? And all? So that's, I'm guessing, what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the ideal candidate profile, you know, does it allows you to to target and to write you know to put the right messaging out there to attract those people those ideal candidates but it doesn't just do that what it also does is it allows you to then um be clear on where you're going to find that person so what i tend to also find is that um you know people might write up a great ideal candidate profile but what they don't do is then 
research where those people spend their time, you know, what platforms they use. And so, you know, let's say, for example, they're going to LinkedIn to try and find a nurse um, and they're going, oh, but we've written this, you know, we've got our messaging clear and we know what attracts the right person, but we can't, you know, they're not, we're not getting any nurses answering our ads on LinkedIn. And, and I'm like, well, it's because you're going to the wrong platform. They're, you know, they're not typically, they're not always on LinkedIn. So I, I'm using that as a generic example, but it's then about knowing where your ideal candidate actually spends their time. And the reason for that is to not waste your advertising money in the wrong location, because, you know, a lot of people will, will do a generic, uh, or sorry, even if they have a really good quality ad, but they'll put it on a generic job board, like an Indeed, let's say. And they'll find that actually, you know, if it's a really highly technical person or an engineer or one of those type areas, they often don't go to Indeed, you know, so they don't go there. So you're spending all your advertising money on a place that that candidate is never going to go to. So, you know, you, you, you're, you need to then use that ideal candidate profile to research, well, where do these people spend their time? Where do they hang out? You know, what social platforms are they on? Are they on TikTok? Are they on, um, are they on Instagram? Uh, am I going to spend some money there? Is there journals that I need to be advertising in? Does that, does that journal have an online presence? Is there another creative way we can, we can do that? Uh, you know, so, so it's then not spending your advertising money on generic locations and spending it on the places where your ideal candidate is actually going to, is actually going to be. Brilliant. I, I love this. It's very, I love marketing for for businesses because it's very much the same. Yeah, it might be yeah. Facebook groups, it might be LinkedIn groups, it might be whatever. But it's yeah. about identifying your ideal client, the the red carpet client, if you like, identifying the place they hang out, and then finding the message that will attract them to want to have a conversation with you. So, yeah. what you're saying yeah. is is exactly the same thing when it actually comes to hiring amazing people, correct? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's just marketing. <laughs> it is, it is literally, I think people, you know, they, at the front end of it, the attraction part, people overcomplicate it. It is just marketing. If you do, if you have a really good quality, I'm always amazed how many organizations have a brilliant marketing department and they're not using them to help them with their candidate attraction. You know, they're not using their knowledge and skills and experience to guide them to candidate attraction, you know, they're, they're, they're just going out to generic job boards and putting ads on and then wondering why they're, they're not finding the right candidates, but they've got this amazing in-house marketing team who they're not, they're not using. Wow. Tara, this has been phenomenal. And I know you're a very, very busy lady. So um, I'm just saying thank you so much. And everyone listening today, I just hope you have taken some amazing insights because Tara is amazing. I have learned so much from you. There are so many valuable lessons in the conversation today. Thank you so much. What I'd like to ask is, with all your experience and your knowledge, both of the larger organizations and the more commercial organizations as well, um, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? They want to have a, a conversation having listened to the podcast today. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the place that I hang out most. <laughs> so, um, and my contact details are on there. So, you know, in terms of a, an easy uh, way of reaching out, LinkedIn's probably the place. Um, the other place they can go is to my website, which is uh, just therecruitmentstrategist.com and contact me by there. But like I say, I, I tend to hang out on LinkedIn. Okay, so just for clarity, because you've got a, a an Irish name, we discussed that before we started. Yeah. But it's Tara O'Brien spelt. So it's O apostrophe B R I E N. <laughs> B R I E N. Thank you e -N. very much. So Tara O'Brien on LinkedIn, and yeah. the company name again is the Recruitment Strategist. The Recruitment Strategist dot com or dot co uk. The recruitmentstrategist.com. Thank you so much. Just hugely valuable. So, folks, what we'll do is we'll put these in the show notes as well, just so you can reach out. But Tara, as you can hear, has such a wealth of knowledge. Um, and she's so delightful to spend time with, as you've also gathered as well. So I'd encourage you folks to reach out and, and have a conversation. And just really, Tara, I know, can help you move your company forward by helping you find the right people to put in the right seats in the right culture, which is what it's all about. So the other thing I'd like to ask is if you've, if you've got value from this podcast today, please help uh, shine a spotlight on Tara by sharing the link with people you know that might benefit. Um, 
or you know just like whatever it is just help this podcast show to get out into the universe and uh, shine the spotlight on Tara if that's okay so uh, so Tara before we before we uh, say goodbye today and it's not goodbye forever I'm going to come back to you I just um, I've got so many clients I want to introduce you to if there was one last gem that you would suggest as business owners or people involved in the hiring process, if there was one gem that everybody should consider mm. that possibly we touched on today or maybe not touched on today, what would that gem be that you would share? Um, I, I think there's probably two. One is to be really clear on the profile that you need to recruit for. Um, I, the, you know, the doing that ideal candidate profile work upfront might feel time consuming but it's so valuable and it's you know you've done it then it's just one of those things that you need to do and yes you might need to tweak it later but it's you know it's a big piece of work you just need to get done um and you don't need to do it for every role just for those key roles that you tend to recruit for on a regular basis so for example your sales team uh and the other thing would be to talent plan uh you know don't leave your recruitment to reactively putting a job on indeed when somebody resigns um you you're you're just gonna you're just gonna cause yourself all sorts of problems and that's where the pain of hiring comes from when it's reactive doing some talent planning in advance being clear on what your normal turnover rate is because every organization has turnover and actually turnover can be a good thing because you get to bring fresh ideas in so don't think of it as a bad thing but but think right if this is my turnover in for example my sales team um you know let's start planning for for those people coming through in our pipeline of of future candidates and do some do some talent planning around that. That would be my my two top tips. That is amazing. And just those insights alone, just if everyone's listened to everything else and you take away that, it's just gonna be phenomenal. So Tara, thank you so much. I genuinely, genuinely appreciate your warmth and your knowledge and your friendship as well, obviously. And um I personally am going to do as much as I can to share this podcast with people in my network so they actually get to hear what they need to know so um hopefully we'll be able to invite you back on the show at another point in time yeah, I'd love to. Um, thank you very very much uh, listen thank you take care and have a brilliant day so folks you've listened today uh, to tara bryan and she's such a fabulous lady again uh the recruitmentstrategist.com is the website uh tara that's correct is it mm, yeah that's it fantastic so folks go to the recruitmentstrategist.com and also, please, again, I'd ask you to to share this uh, with anybody that know who's actually looking to hire amazing talent. With that said, I'm going to close this off, Tara. Thank you so much. It's been another wonderful, wonderful Wealthy Wednesday podcast. And I am so grateful you've joined us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. Check the show notes below for further details on this week's episode, including links to resources mentioned in the show. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you'll find us on Apple, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. See you next week.